Chris read a few moments ago some of the verses that we talked about last week. Ephesians 2, which talk about the amazing grace of God, the immeasurable riches of his love for us. It's a dramatic passage in the Bible. We've been saved by the undeserved grace of God. And so the question is, like, what do we do in response? How do we live in response to that, in response to all that God has done for us? And so I want us to look this morning in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, page number 674, if you picked up one of the Bibles in the back. I'm going to ask uh, Karen Hale to come and read for us Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Karen, read. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Thank you. Verse 11, in all, all, that, all that Karen just read, there's, there's one command, and it's in verse 11 repeated in verse 12. We're told to do only one thing in all those verses. And what we're told to do is remember. I don't think the Ephesian people that received this letter the first time, I don't think they were just unusually forgetful people. I don't think that's why Paul is saying to them, remember. I think he has other things in mind. This word comes up, remember, it comes up all over Scripture. It just reminds us that sometimes, you know, so I feel like my physical memory doesn't always work like it did at one point in time. Our spiritual memories don't always work as well as they should either. Sometimes we forget things that are crucial for us to remember. And so Paul is giving this command for us to 
remember. Sometimes we need that. Before I took a test, it was really, really helpful for a teacher to say, let me tell you some things you'll need to remember. We all knew what that meant. I get the pen out because test day was coming. Or a coach gathers uh, some of the players and she might say, here's a few things you need to remember. Here's a few things you might want to pay attention to. And so it's kind of impressing, and that is exactly what Paul's doing. And and this idea of remembering is remember so that you'll have a deeper understanding and a greater appreciation of some things, especially all that we've read through Ephesians to this point. We remember, and it affects us. So there there are things that I haven't tasted for a long time, but I remember how they tasted. And there are places that I haven't been to in a long time, but I remember exactly how they look. And there are times that I have that now are a distant memory, but I remember them. It's interesting, memory affects even our heart. Our heart goes to some places because we remember certain things. And and here's Paul driving at this. Remember, have a deep appreciation, have have a growing appreciation, a deeper understanding. Go back there in your mind and go back there in your heart begins to unpack. So that, that is what we're told to do this morning. But in light of being told to remember, Paul builds upon exactly what we're supposed to remember. Sometimes when I'm watching a drama on, uh, on television, I'm watching, in the beginning has this kind of previously on whatever the drama is. And so previously on, and then they'll show clips that help you kind of get oriented to these specific characters or this specific story or the context because they, the, the writers know that if you just kind of dive in, you're, you're going to be confused. You're not going to know this backstory, what's going on. And I think there are places like Ephesians 2.11 where if we just kind of dive into Ephesians 2.11, sometimes we'll, we'll want to know like, well, what happened previously? So I think if we can just take a few moments like previously in the Bible, previously in the Old Testament, what was going on for Paul to write these specific words? So the story of the Bible, and some of you may be really familiar with the story, and some of you may not be as familiar with the story, and I'm glad kind of both categories are here at Ogletown today and everything in between. The story of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, which is about the first two-thirds of the Bible, God focuses his work on a particular individual and his family, and the individual is Abraham, and his family becomes the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. God works his salvation plan through this man named Abraham and his family. This nation becomes a people of promise. God makes promises to them. He enters into a a covenant relationship with them, a, a binding agreement with them. And kind of just symbolize the covenant often with a covenant relationship like the one I have with my, with my wife, we, we have rings, we have signs of that covenant to say I'm married. And the sign in the Old Testament that God's people were in covenant relationship with him was a sign of circumcision. And so there's much in the Old Testament about this covenant and its sign. The people of Israel were called to be a light to the nations, a blessing to the entire world. The design was always that the nations of the world, all other nations besides Israel, would be brought to God through his work in Israel. That's the background. And I feel like we need to know, okay, previously in the Bible, that's what's going on. So that when Paul comes to verse 11, it serves as a helpful background. Verse 11 says, therefore remember that at one time, 
the Gentiles in the flesh, they were called the uncircumcision. And so now the labels start coming out. So the circumcision, that means the Jewish people, they take on the label of the insider and they like to put the label on the Gentiles as those are the outsider. Often labels and categories are used that way to going to be derogatory towards some other group or some other entity you don't care for. And so Paul's saying, remember what what it once was. There were these entities and, and categories and labels. But Paul said, this is just a matter of the flesh. It always was about what was going on in the heart. So the categories are set up for us to remember some things. We come to Ephesians 2. And Paul begins to lay out a timeline. And I think there are, at least in the, in the rest of this passage, there are three kind of distinct markers of this timeline. So the first marker of this timeline is once. Is once. So he says, remember, remember what? Remember once. Remember at one time. That's what verse 11 says. Remember at one time who, what, and where you were apart from Christ. Remember once He says, remember once you were separated from Christ. Remember, you had no Messiah. So now, we've sang praises to Jesus the Messiah. And he's reminding them, remember, at one point you were separated from Christ, or which is another word from Messiah. So it's not that we didn't have hopes and and someone we, we would, you know, like peg our hopes on to deliver us. Everybody's looking for a deliverer. Everybody's looking for them to, for, for someone to save them, to rescue them. And Paul says, remember at one time, you had no savior. You had no rescuer. You had no Messiah. You could just make up stuff, but you had no Messiah. He begins to unpack that more. Look at verse 12. He also reminds him, remember at w- once, at one time, you had no true spiritual identity. He says, you were alienated. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. So he just said, I mean, God is working through the people of Israel. And now he's saying, remember, at one, at one point, you didn't have a, a true spiritual identity. You were excluded from that. And like nobody, nobody likes to be excluded. Nobody likes for everybody else to be included in a group and you to feel like I'm not included in that group. That never feels good. He says, you didn't belong to a community. There is a real division that separated you and you were on the outside. Remember, you didn't have a spiritual identity. And remember also once that you didn't belong to God's covenant people. Remember that you were strangers, verse 12 says, to the covenants of promise. You were strangers. You're separated, you're alienated, and you're strangers to the covenant, the binding promise that God makes with his people yeah, that, that wasn't you. Remember, you were strangers to that, to the covenant, the covenants. And there's several covenants in the Bible that kind of expanded. It starts with Abraham and then it, it's confirmed to Isaac in the Bible. And then it's confirmed to Jacob in the Bible. And then it's confirmed later to Moses and then, and then to David, all these covenants. And, and there's multiple covenants. There's one promise that promises that God is going to come back and set the world to rights. Everything will be made right in it, in the world. Remember at one time, you were a stranger to the covenant. You didn't belong there. Separated, strangers, alienated. Then finally, two more descriptions. 
you're without God or without hope and you're without God. I'm sure they hoped in something. I'm sure they weren't all atheists. But what, what Paul is saying is you, whatever you were hoping in would only disappoint. Whatever little G-O-D you were trusting in, whatever little God you were trusting in, it would disappoint as well. He takes us back to this point once. Remember once. So Paul's saying that to the church at Ephesus. Can we hear that loud and clear today at Ogletown? Does our, does our spiritual... So I would imagine if I polled most people in the room, I'd say at least 95% would identify as Christians in this room today. Some capacity, you'd say, ah, yeah, I'm a Christian. But does our Christianity take into account of what we once were? Are we remembering that just like Paul said? Or, or if you woke up tomorrow and none of that was true about you, you, know, you, you had no, no Messiah, you didn't have a, a spiritual identity, you didn't belong to God's covenant people, would that change Monday for you? Would your Memorial Day be significantly different if all that was not true of you, if all that had not been dealt with in Christ? Or would you not nah, pretty much go to work the same way? I mean, it's nice to have Christianity. It's nice to be a part of, part of kind of a, a, a Christian group here, but... Or does Christ make such a difference where like you take away my Messiah and my identity, my community that I belong to, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure who I would be. Paul says, remember. Remember once, but then there's another time marker. It's not just once. He, he, he shifts the time. He says, remember, that was once, but now something different has happened. Like Chris reminded us earlier in verse 4, there's like this, but God... This is very, very similar. Verse 13 is a but now. So once it was this way, but now. And so now there's the kind of a, a hinge point, a, a clear dividing line of activity. God, has, God in his mercy has intruded into this story of once it looked like this, but now. And, and Paul says, remember it. Can, can we read it again in verse 13? But now in Christ Jesus, you once, you once were far off. Notice, it's not just time, but it's space, it's distance here. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He did this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. And he did this that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off, peace to those who are near. For through him we both now, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Remember once, but remember but now. And in that but now, remember that in Jesus, God has dealt with distance. God has dealt with distance. I mean, you read those terms, right? So you once were, were far off, but now you've been brought near. You once, we all once were far from God. And it took the blood of Christ to draw us near. Scripture doesn't get squeamish when it talks about blood. I mean, it's clear that Christianity is a bloody religion because it took a violent, horrible death of our Savior to purchase our freedom to make us pure. And if we lived in ancient times, talking about blood would make us squeamish as well. I mean, all religions, it seemed like in ancient times, had some sort of ritual that would deal in, in blood. 
Because the life of the flesh is in the blood. And Paul says it took through this blood you once were far off and now you've been brought near through the atoning death of Jesus. That's why even next week we're we're going to remember body broken for us, blood shed for us at the Lord's table. We do this on, on a regular basis because we remind ourselves that there was distance and there's not distance anymore and it's not because we were running so fast to God. It's because he came to us he, and brought us near. In Jesus, he's dealt with our distance. In Jesus, God has dealt with the division as well. He's dealt with division. So it's interesting. And, and did you see it in, in 13 to 18? All the times it was like the word both was used or dividing wall or hostility or, or some sort of division. It's kind of the baseline of that division is two entities, Jews and Gentiles, and they are separated. There was a dividing wall of hostility, Scripture says here. And to deal with that wall, Jesus had to deal with the law. That's exactly where where this points us to, especially in, in verse 15. He had to deal with the law of commandments and the ordinances, the way it was supposed to be practiced. There was a law covenant given to Israel, that binding promise of God to Israel showed itself up in the law. I mean, we know the Ten Commandments, that was a law given to Israel. And that law implied a separation. In that law was even an architecture that divided Jew and Gentile in the tabernacle and in the temple. And there was the division in the economy between Jew and Gentile. And social interaction, there was a division between Jew and Gentile. And even in rituals and And in their religion, there's a division between Jew and Gentile. There were insiders and outsiders. There was a division of ethnicity and nationality. And there were law keepers and law breakers. There's this dividing line. Laws of purity and laws of separation. And it says this, and this is no small thing, that Jesus has abolished that. He's abolished it. We might use the word in our terminology, he has deactivated that law. He's deactivated that. It no longer is in effect. He's replaced the old covenant with a new covenant in his blood that he makes with his people. Happened in his flesh. And how can he abolish the law? Because he fulfilled it all. And now because he's made a new covenant, deactivated the old covenant, made a new covenant, there's no condemnation for those who are in that new covenant. I'm just looking at Looking at people, there is no condemnation because you're in the new covenant of God. It's an amazing thing. It says Jesus takes two entities, Jew and Gentile. And notice the words because they they matter here. In, In verse 15, it says he creates in himself one new humanity, one new man. So what starts off as Jew and Gentile now becomes one new humanity. And the only other time we read like creation of humans is in Genesis 1 when Adam's created. But now there's a, a new Adam. A new Adam has come. And that's Jesus and he's making a new humanity, a new category. What an amazing thing. He's made, made us one. And I have to pause here. Because I think implied in this. Surely the the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile has been eliminated. Surely that's what it says. But surely that has other applications. 
I just think in 2016, we need to recognize other applications of this. And one of those applications is because of this, there is no other divide that separates the people of God. There is no racial divide. There is no ethnic divide. There is no national divide that separates the people of God. He's made us one. So I look out in our culture and, and I'm grieved by the racial division and, and that, that hurts me. And I think we are less of a country as long as that racial divide and racial discrimination and prejudice exists. We're less of a country as long as that exists. But when I think about it in terms of the people of God, there, it just becomes intolerable, inexcusable to have prejudice, to have racism, to laugh at this, snicker at this, categorize these people or that people because Jesus has eliminated all that and we become the people of God from, from many nations, even in our church family, and many ethnicities, even in our church family, many races, even in our church family. There's one new race and that race is the one that matters. And so let's just always grow toward that Ogletown. We, can, we, we certainly have room to grow in, in how we welcome and we welcome those that are of different nationalities and different ethnicities and different races than per- perhaps we are. But let's always make sure those doors are wide open because this is what God has done. He's made us one. He's taken out all hostility. Jesus has reconciled us to God. And because of that, peace has come. Just look at the word peace that shows up in 14, verse 15, verse 17. I love the way it unpacks it. First of all, it just says kind of point blank, he is our peace. Jesus is our peace. But then verse 15 says he makes peace. Verse 17 says, after being our peace and making peace, he comes and preaches peace. Yeah, to those who are far away, the Gentiles and those who are near the Jews, he preaches the same message of peace and reconciliation to both. What an amazing thing. Because of this, verse 18 says we can have access We have access to the Father through the Spirit. We can pray in confidence. Remember this, Paul says. Remember but now. Remember this. Remember this. And and perhaps we don't remember this. Perhaps we don't really, well, you know, I don't know that there was ever a distance between God and I. Or maybe we think, you know, I've, I've never really thought of myself as a spiritual outsider. Or maybe we've never really felt what it's like to be, be excluded from anything. Or maybe we've never seen ourselves outside of a covenant relationship with God. Or maybe we re- really don't think of ourselves at, at war with God. And well, I don't know that I was ever at war with God. And, and Paul says, you were. And that's what you once were, but now. The timeline, there's the once and there's the but now. When you come to verse 19, you have a so then. You have another marker in the timeline. Our status is once and in Jesus' work, but now, and we put those together, so then, here's our condition. Here's our new status. So then, verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens. So then, you're fellow citizens now and with the saints and members of the Household, the family of God, you're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Remember, 
So then, you have a new kind of new status. So that means in Jesus. So then, in Jesus, we belong. We belong. Why do you think Paul says, okay, that strangers and aliens, no longer that. Now, now you're a fellow citizen. What's interesting, in the ancient city of Ephesus, there might be a couple hundred thousand people. There are only less than 10,000 citizens of the city. You, didn't just, you weren't just born there and became a citizen. Citizen was a, a privileged status. And so Paul just kind of blows open the doors and says, all of you, all the saints, all the holy ones, and that's just not like St. Thomas and St. Barnabas and St. Mark and whoever else. This is all of us, all the people of God. You're a citizen. You, have, you, have, you belong. You have a privileged status. And you're members of the household of God. You're part of the family. That's why we like to think of our ter- ourselves in, in terms of a family. We belong to a family. We're a growing family of believers. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And then Paul switches the imagery a little in verse 20. He says, in Jesus, not only do we belong, but in Jesus, we're part of what God is building. So he, he, he mentions like you're, you're part of the household, but then household becomes, again, the imagery switches a little bit, and we get this kind of idea of a building, something that God is building. So he starts off by saying in 20, there's the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the ones who first gave Jesus teaching, first gave witness to who Jesus is. So they, they lay the foundation with what they tell us about Jesus. And it says Jesus is like the cornerstone of the building, where some translations say like the capstone, the one that holds it all together. I think either one's acceptable. Either one's an acceptable translation. He is the cornerstone. Everything's built on him. He is the capstone. It all holds together in him. And brick by brick, this building is being joined together in Christ Jesus. And what does it say in verse 21? The whole structure grows into a holy temple in the Lord. When, when a reader in Ephesus or a listener of the first time it was read, when they would have heard temple, we have a pretty good idea what they would have thought of. So one of the, one of the wonders of the ancient world was the temple of Artemis. You show the picture here. This is an artist's reconstruction. So someone who saw the seven wonders of the world looked at this and said, there's nothing quite like this one. So sitting outside the city of Ephesus would be this temple. And so when, when Paul's calling out a temple, this would, would logically be where they would go. And this would be an impressive facility. I mean, you can't probably see how little the people are and how massive this structure is. And this would be impressive that the the goddess Diana or the goddess Artemis and, and worship we did, pagan worship would be done there. This would have been so impressive to them. So they would, they would think of their little house church of probably 10 to 12 people and then this was the dominant religion. How impressive it would be. And God's unimpressed with that. He says to that little house church in Ephesus, I'm going to dwell in you. You're going to be joined together. I'm going to dwell in you. God is putting together his church, brick by brick, person by person. 
and he dwells in us. We are the structure. So if I wanted to show you an impressive temple where God dwells, I'm not showing you pictures of the ancient world. If I could have a camera and kind of do a panoramic picture, I'd say however unimpressive we feel. This is a holy temple where God meets. Or if I could take my camera to the previous hour where, where there were men and women teaching our kids about who Jesus is, I'd say that, that is where God dwells. Or if we were to go to a church picnic, we'd say, this, see where God dwells. This is the, the people of God. They're being joined together. Or as we kind of dismiss and people hang out here and people hang out in the parking lot and, and we talk and we, we are the body of Christ. We say, this is what it looks like when, when God dwells in a place. This is the temple. We'd take a picture of all these things and in God's sight, it would be far more impressive than the best of human ingenuity. Because we are growing into this. Look at verse 22. We are growing into being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. This is why we gather. This is why we sing. This is why we pray. This is why we do it weekly. This is why we teach God's word. To drive in our hearts, remember... Remember, remember these key points. Remember once and remember but now. But also remember so then. Remember what God is doing. Remember, Ogletown, what God is doing with our church family. Remember, as we look at those who get baptized in, in a couple weeks, as they profess, they're saying, there was, there was a once, but now God is doing something. As we welcome new members into our church family, we're saying, God's doing something. We belong and we're being built into a part of what God is doing. I can think of few things as amazing as being part of God's building projects. You know, our memory is just a really strange thing. Our memories at times can haunt us. We begin to kind of rewind mentally where we were or what what we once were and it haunts us. Sometimes can cause our hearts to be filled with despair and yet our memories can can serve another purpose. They can take us back to things that really matter. They can take us back to the things that are most important. They can take us, even in times that are uncertain, back to times where it was anything but uncertain. It was totally certain that God had moved, that the Holy Spirit had worked in us, and we knew God, and and God can kind of take us back to those places. And so this morning, let him take us back. Let us remember, church, remember who we once were. Remember what God has done now so that we see all that God will do and all that God is doing in our lives. And I ask you to bow your head. Can I ask us even this moment, can we just work on shaping our, our memory? Let's remember a few things here. Maybe by remembering our heart is affected. We're renewed spiritually. Father, thank you for what you did for us individually, but I'm grateful even for this passage, what what you've done for us as a group. Thank you for who you're making Ogletown into. Continue to shape us to look more like your son, Jesus. Continue to remind us 
that any walls of hostility have been dealt with. They've been obliterated. Help us to know that we belong. Help us to recognize our access where this is all possible because of what Jesus has done. And so we can, we can sing, we can recognize that our hope is built on nothing less than his blood, his righteousness. Let that be our song today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.